Welcome back to the Starbase Indie Podcast, where we talk to and about people who are inspired by Star Trek or science fiction to work towards hopeful futures in the real world. So I'm here today with Austin Owens. Austin, why don't you start by introducing yourself? Um, uh, yes. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Austin. Um, I am a uh, full-time student, part-time quality technician. Um, and I'm also the president of uh, Siberia Makerspace, um, uh, one of the longest running makerspaces in Indianapolis. Great. So let's start with the basics. Tell us of what a makerspace is. Um, yeah, so what a makerspace is, um, a makerspace can be kind of thought of as a community garden, uh, but for your mind. Um, oh, I like that. So it's a place where um, a lot of makerspaces uh, are generally organized around the idea of uh, community membership. Um, so you sign up as a member, um, you'll get access to the space. In our case, um, you get 24 seven access um, and there are tools available for you to use um, everything from, you know, small style stuff like hand tools, uh, hammers, wrenches, saws, those sort of things um, to larger scale items like uh, 3D printers um, and machine tools like lathes and laser cutters um, to pretty much make whatever you want. What's the coolest tool you have at Siberia? Oh, man. Um, my favorite tool at Siberia is probably the mill, mm -hmm. uh, just because being able to machine arbitrary shapes, arbitrary shapes out of metal is very useful. Um, the one that people like the most, though, is probably the laser cutter. Um, there's just something about it that, you know, cap captures the imagination. Because it will cut through things with lasers. That seems, yeah, that seems like that was what science fiction was when I was a kid. <laughs> We've kind of gone past it now, but yeah. It is very sci-fi, yes. So Siberia's goal is to promote individual hands-on creativity using methods from science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. How did you first get connected to Siberia? Um, so how I first got connected to Siberia was actually um, probably about, ooh, wow, uh, about 12 years ago now. Um, I was still in high school at the time, um, and I was a part of a homeschool robotics team, and we were looking for, you know, a location for the robotics team to meet that wasn't in one of the family's basements. Um, so trolling uh, uh, the search index of Google and um, various uh, Craigslist postings as one is want to do, um, kind of stumbled across the idea of hackerspaces, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, what they were known as at the time. Um, and then I kind of searched, okay, are there any hackerspaces in Indianapolis? Um, and that's how I came across uh, Siberia. So are hackerspaces different from makerspaces or did the word just sort of change with usage over time? Oh boy, that's a very, <laughs> there's a story there. Um, so the core idea of a place where people can come and share ideas and create things together, um, they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, makerspaces are a bit more of a friendlier rebranding um, that happened in somewhat more recent times, whereas um, hackerspaces have been around for a very long time, um, especially in Europe. Um, and they tend to be more associated with, you know, 
um, hacker culture, which is things like uh, um, computer uh, computer hacking or um, mm -hmm. phone freaking. Are you familiar with that term? I, I am. I'm not. What is phone freaking? Um, phone freaking is something that's really not possible anymore. Um, but it was a thing that people used to do um, back when we still had, you know, a really analog phone system. Mm -hmm. um, you could use like uh, whistle tones, um, like just whistling or using like an actual plastic whistle to um, essentially control the phone system and get free phone calls. Um, yeah. It sounded like it used to sound when you do the dial up, which is probably way before your time, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. yeah. yeah. So the, the original kind of hacker major hacker maker culture got started with those kind of countercultural groups and then um, developed into what we know today. So you started out managing events for Siberia and then you moved into the president role. You've been doing that for five years. So what what does the president of a makerspace do? Just makes the coolest stuff or um mostly a lot of paperwork <laughs> <laughs> um so as the president of the makerspace um i have a few different responsibilities um a big one is being a um an advocate for the space and setting the long-term strategic goals of the space as far as like okay what type of who are we trying to reach um and how are we trying to reach them um what organizations do we need to partner with to do things? Um, and then the boring uh, things like um, signing legal documentation, um, presiding over the business meetings and things along those lines. So what is the long-term long strategic goal for Siberia? Um, the long-term strategic goal of Siberia is to make a place where people where people feel comfortable to create without fear. Um, fear is something that is, you know, pervasive in today's world, in today's society. Yeah. Um, I think that goes a bit without saying. And it's, um, it's easy to get, you know, kind of caught up into the idea of there's no hope or we can't do this or this problem can't be solved. Um, one of my biggest goals with Siberia, with Siberia is to have a space available that's safe for people of all ages, experiences, and backgrounds to come together and see that, you know, maybe things aren't so bad because, hey, I learned how to make this cool thing. And maybe these problems are solvable because, you know, I never thought I would make a robot, but, you know, I made one in an afternoon. Um, and I, I think off being able to offer people that kind of hope and creative experience um, offers a lot of benefit. Yeah, you, you learn that problems are solvable when you sit down and solve a problem in a new way and with different kinds of people. That makes a ton of sense to me. So who are some of your partners? Um, so some of the people that we've worked with in the past, um, we're really thankful for our local library system. Um, we've done uh, several programs through um, the Indianapolis Public Library System at the um, Downtown Library um, and at the, uh, the, East, the East 38th Street Library, um, especially. Um, we've also worked with other uh, local makerspaces, uh, local to Indiana, um, like uh, Shack is a makerspace up in Kokomo. 
Um, there's also Matchbox, who is based out of Lafayette, and um, uh, a Machine, who is based in the Tech 16 complex um, on the west side of downtown, I believe. Fantastic. So one of your interests is 3D printing. How did you start getting into 3D printing? Um, the So how I got started into 3D printing, that also goes back to um, my time in high school on the robotics team mm -hmm. is um, when I first, oh man, it must have been 2009, 2010, when I first heard about the concept of 3D printing, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Um, and at that time, most 3D printers were made from like scavenged printer parts and things. So I would go to the different Goodwills and try and find printers to take apart to build one. Um, never went anywhere with that. But when I found Siberia, uh, they had a 3D printer there. And um, I took one of the classes on it and just got hooked. That's fantastic. So you are part or were part of the 2021 cohort of research scholars at the Lewis Stokes Alliance for Minority Participation, which your research project, which I found online, was figuring out which infill patterns create the strongest 3D prints. So what did you find out? Um, you did your research then. <laughs> I saw, uh, yes. I noticed somebody had looked at, because um, I get notifications anytime somebody pulls up the project portfolio. I was like, huh, that's unusual. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, so what we did is uh, we were researching, um, like you said, the infill patterns to create stronger 3D prints. Um, so wait, what, let's back up a second. Not everyone does 3D printing. What is an yeah. infill? Tell us what an infill pattern is. So yes. Um, so in 3D printing, um, your object is built up layer by layer from your 3D file. Mm -hmm. um, as part of that, uh, to save uh, to save on material, um, to save on time, almost no object is ever printed 100% solid, 100% dense. Mm -hmm. um, you'll usually specify a top and bottom thickness and then a wall thickness, and then it will um, use infill to fill the inside of your print with a pattern of some sort, um, almost like a uh, how like a honeycomb will fill a beehive. Mm -hmm. um, so which infill works is the strongest? Um, so what we found um, in our testing is that um, uh, was, I believe, octal was the type of infill um, that was uh, found to be the strongest, which is like a weird um, eight-sided, uh, almost honeycomb, but not quite shape, um, which was honeycomb kind of- six, right? Uh, yeah, honeycomb is six-sided, um, which is counter to uh, kind of, at least my understanding, the prevailing uh, thought among the 3D printing community um, was that uh, more of a hex shape was assumed to be the strongest. So you're finding out that it wasn't what we thought. That's always kind of the most interesting part of science. Yeah, yeah. Even though it makes people mad. <laughs> <laughs> What's the coolest thing you have 3D printed? Um, the coolest thing that I've 3D printed um, the one that I probably enjoyed the most is um, there was a group, and I think this group has disbanded at this point in time, um, but they were a uh, nonprofit mm -hmm. that would meet and do like live um, 
Dungeons and Dragons shows at like PopCon and different things um, to raise money for charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how they would raise money is you would bid on what would happen to the players on stage. And it would be like, you could add an item from pop culture. So um, say they open a treasure chest and inside they find, um, and somebody in the audience bids uh, a set of Dragon Balls. Um, And so they find a set of Dragon Balls in the treasure chest. Um, So we made a bunch of props for them to like act as live pieces. Um, And one of uh, the props that I made was a a portal gun um, from the video game portal that was Uh full size and would light up the blue and orange, depending on uh, which portal you shot. Nice. A lot of fun. So that's not just 3D printing, that's 3D, 3D printing plus some electronics. Yes. Um, so you also, you traveled to Japan a couple of years back as part of a People to People, which was founded by President Eisenhower to encourage international citizenship and citizenship and cooperation. So. How was Japan? Um, Japan was amazing. Um, I keep finding, trying to figure out a way to go back, but man, plane tickets are expensive. Yeah, certainly <laughs> right now. Yeah, so what did you learn from the experience? Um, I'd say the biggest thing I took away from that experience was just how kind people can truly be. Um, it's easy again, it's easy to kind of get caught up in the the cynicism of the world around us, um, especially with how, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How crisis-driven our media and entertainment can be, our news media and entertainment media can be. Um, But when you get down to it, while we all come from different backgrounds, while we all have different wants and desires as far as the specifics of how we'd like to love and be loved. Um, People are just people everywhere. And generally speaking, everyone wants to just love and be loved. Um, And I think it's, uh, I I got to experience a lot of um, culture there. Uh, One of the things that we did as part of that project um, was a homestay. We actually stayed with a Japanese family um, for a few days and, um, that they were willing to open their home to, you know, a stranger who didn't speak their language was to me a really powerful experience. That's cool. Have you been to other parts of the world as well? Um, not outside the country. Um, I've been around, uh, the U S a bit more, um, in recent years. Um, and that's another thing that I realized, um, when I first went to Japan, Japan itself is about the size of California. Right. The United States is huge. <laughs> and we don't always appreciate the scale, especially given the map projections we grow up with, which kind of understate it, right? Yeah. That's very, very true. Now, you have a, kind of a day job in technology also, right? You work as a lab technician. Mm-hmm. What kind of lab work do you do? Um, so I work as uh, specifically a quality technician. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, what I do is a bit all over the place. Um, I tend to do a bit of uh, value engineering projects, which are things like uh, redesigning this bracket to you know eliminate this type of quality defect, or um, uh, creating new training documentation so that uh, 
um, the operators can better understand this type of process. Um, but a lot of uh, a lot of what you might call maintenance um, items. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's that kind of fiddly stuff that makes things more reliable, makes things work better, but it's yeah. not the big eureka moment. It's the, if I shave a millimeter here, it were, it fits a little better kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. If we just change the timing on this a little bit, we'll save, you know, 30 cents on a unit type of stuff. So do you like that more sort of detailed fiddling or do you like the more large scale design figuring out whole problems or is it a combination? Um, I'd say for me, it's a bit of a combination. I'm definitely someone who um, I, I, I enjoy optimization problems. That's what I think about every day is how do we take this and make it better? Um, or how do we take this and make it more user-friendly? Or how do we take this and make it more available for people? Um, but I'm also a bit arrogant. I'm, I'll be honest. Um, I, I like to say, hey, this is the best way to go about it. And if it is the best way, not have to, you know, field a bunch of arguments about why it's the best way. Um, so I, I, do, I do like a bit of autonomy um, when working on projects. Mm -hmm. So you're in school. What are you studying? Um, I'm actually studying uh, mechanical engineering right now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So what what do you uh, where do you see yourself? What how do you want to make the world a better place as you get older? Um, what I'm really passionate about is uh, you know I think it's um, William Gibson um, is the quote, and it's that the uh, the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. Ooh, I like that. Um, and so I'd really like to work in like research and development and like assistive technologies to help make the future that exists that we see in movies and things a bit more equitably distributed. Um, because when you think about it, what is a 3D printer? It's yeah. a replicator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Um, and I mean, we've been, uh, just on the note of 3D printing, we've been 3D printing functional body parts like tracheas and even now organs since about 2012. Um, well, so and even before that, we were 3D printing um, like knee replacements and yeah. orthopedics. So, you know, the body parts that don't have to work as organs, we've been doing that even longer. Yeah, yeah. So just making that, you know, cheaper, safer and more accessible for people is something that I'm very passionate about. That's fantastic. So um, a couple of years ago, we were lucky enough to have you present at Starbase Indy talking about 3D printing. What did you enjoy about Starbase Indy? Um, it was just really, it was a really great experience to see so many people so hopeful about the future. You know what I mean? Um, it is kind of our whole shtick right now. <laughs> How do we create more hopeful futures? Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things that I remember that really stuck out to me that was kind of a, that's really cool. That's a very Star Trek thing um, was uh, they had actually um, redid all the restrooms to make them like all uh, gender neutral restrooms. And I was like, that's pretty neat. Yeah, we've been doing that for a while. So what are you working on now? What are you up to next? 
Um, so a couple of projects I have on the back burner. Um, once school stops taking so much of my time, is um, I've been really getting into uh, Dungeons and Dragons and like uh, doing like dice casting, mm -hmm. um, which I found really relaxing. And it's a really more challenging engineering problem than people might recognize because those dice have to be balanced. Oh yeah. And so it's not it's not a casual casting process, right? There's a lot of optimization that goes into it. Yeah, there's 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 a bit of fiddliness to it. Um, I actually just a moment. Um, I ran into that issue with these are ones I made a a week or so ago or a couple of weeks ago now. Um, I, uh, I don't know if you can see our that, viewers right? won't, I can see it fine. Our, our listeners won't be able to see it because we just do, uh, I'm not ready to take on video editing yet. <laughs> so it's all <laughs> right. as a podcast. But yeah, so that was what, a 12-sided dice? Um, yep, it's a 12-sided, and I'll describe it. It's a really nice um, like gold flake, orange, and um, red kind of color mixture. And I That's really, cool. really like the color. Mm -hmm. Um. But fun fact, uh, alcohol ink, um, a primary constituent in it is isopropyl alcohol, mm -hmm. which is actually a curing inhibitor in resin. So if you put too much in it, it will make the resin uh -huh. um, not fully cure. So I have a set of really beautiful dice that have the consistency of a gummy bear. Yeah, you don't want to try rolling those. That's not gonna, that's gonna go well. <laughs> no, not, not at all. <laughs> Yeah, but there's got to be some kind of practical joke you can play with that. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> it's it's finally a safe D4. There you go. Yeah, that would be an important uh, invention in the world, I think. <laughs> <laughs> don't really need caltrips. I mean, we have them, but we don't need them. Um, so where can people find your work on the web if they want to learn more? Um, yeah, uh, the best place to find us is... Um, clubsiberia.org. Um, and Siberia with a C, right? C -Y that's Siberia with a C, mm -hmm. yep. Like the cyber. Yes, that, <laughs> not, not the cold, but the, the electronic, yes. Yes, yep. Um, we have a link to our Discord on the main page. Um, and that's where most of the activity goes. You can go there, ask questions, um, see different projects that people are working on. Mm -hmm. um, we also have a Facebook page. Uh, the Facebook page is not as actively updated, um, but we do post our major events there and we're always open to taking questions if you have any. Great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Starbase Indie Podcast. To find more information about our live event this November, check us out at starbaseindie.org or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. See you on the Starbase!